She's in her little teen phase right now, so sometimes she gets in a snit about things. But she's a very good girl. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, I'm Miles Abdurrahim. I love my dad and my favorite animal is a red panda. My dad and me both have matching turtle necklaces. We love each other so, 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 so much. Enjoy the song! Hello, friends. Welcome back to an episode that is going to go by really quickly because it's all about cheetahs, the latest episode of the Rossafari podcast. In case you couldn't tell, that was my son, Miles, at the top of the show there. He's actually not just my son, but he's also a subscriber. You can be like Miles by making sure you hit subscribe on whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. Also, a five-star rating and a review will go a long way to helping other people find the show. Also, remember to check out the awesome benefits I have available for my monthly patrons at patreon.com slash rossafari. There is merch available at rossafari.redbubble.com. And of course, make sure you're following along on Insta and Facebook at Rossafari. Today, I'm taking you back to one of my favorite zoos in the country, the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens in Cincinnati, Ohio. I sat down for an interview with Linda Castaneda, the head of the Cheetah Ambassador Program. The interview is awesome, and I can't wait to share it with y'all, but it's also a little shorter than most of the interviews have been. That's because Linda was on an incredibly tight schedule, and I'm so grateful that she was able to give me as much time as she did. Of course, the interview wasn't the only thing we did. With Cheetah Runs canceled right now, the Cincinnati Zoo has a really cool program they are running where you can go and watch a cheetah make a painting. When I got to the zoo, Linda brought me to the stands of the Cheetah Run area and let me observe from a distance that is both close enough to care, the motto of the zoo, and far enough away to not infect anyone or anything with COVID. It was amazing watching a cheetah on a leash working so closely with his team. I got to watch gorgeous cheetah Tommy T make some amazing artwork, and it was magical. I even got to take a Tommy T original home with me. This program is currently not being offered for the winter, but I highly recommend it once they start back up. Also, make sure you check out CincinnatiZoo.org for all of the winter VIP experiences they are offering right now, as well as a series of amazing virtual experiences you can book. This is such a hard year for the zoo, and for everyone, and you can support them in such a unique and exciting way by booking one or more of these experiences. You can actually even virtually meet a cheetah and have it join you on a video call. I'm guessing there will be a keeper involved as well? But I guess there's always a chance that they have just trained their cheetahs to use Zoom. Heaven knows they already trained them to be amazing painters. So, I have an amusing story for y'all. 
Since I started this podcast, I have been looking forward to sitting down with someone from one of the zoos that has cheetah and dog pairs. It is such a cool program, and it's all built around the idea of cheetahs using the dogs as basically emotional support animals. Or at least it's that way at some zoos. Turns out that's not the way the Cincinnati program works, and that is something that I love about zoos and conservation efforts in general. So many different places do things in so many different ways. Even things that look the same on the surface, like the cheetah and dog companion programs at Cincinnati and, say, a zoo like San Diego, are actually two incredibly different things. It's a lot of fun to find out all these little differences, and it keeps things very interesting as someone who is currently on a mission to learn all about this stuff and bring it to you. That also brings me to a different topic from an earlier episode. You may remember in the recent episode with Christy Nuss, the Red Panda Keeper at Columbus, that we had a discussion about whether or not it is common for Red Panda fathers to be kept in with their mates and offspring. I mentioned that I have been told by multiple keepers that it is not common to do so, and that is true. In fact, the first three keepers I ever spoke to about it all separate the males before the cubs are born. However, I have since asked multiple other keepers, and it turns out that many do keep the full families together, and often the father will play with the cubs, and it is adorable. Again, it all comes down to what the keepers, curators, vet staff, and others think is best in their unique situation. Of course, it's also based on the personality and history of the father and the mother, especially as many panda mothers can be rather protective of their cubs and have no problem putting the fathers in place. So, that's a long way of saying that there is no easy answer, but that Christy and I were both right, depending on who you ask. The amazing personalized care provided by zoo staffs all around this country is incredible. One final bit of excitement for this episode. Since this is a shorter interview, I asked a former guest to send me a story that wasn't in her episode. You'll hear that at the very end, after my final thoughts and right before the credits roll. It's someone a lot of you have told me you really loved, so make sure you stay tuned for that story. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Linda Castaneda of my home away from home zoo, the Cincinnati Zoo. All right, Linda, thank you so much for being here today. Um, tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. My name is Linda Castaneda. I run the Cat Ambassador Program, and we are here at the Cincinnati Zoo in Cincinnati, Ohio. Love it. Love it here. Everyone who listens already knows that. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the Cat Ambassadors with a heavy focus on cheetahs today. So how many cheetahs do you have at the zoo? We have 10 cheetahs here on zoo grounds. They're all part of our ambassador program in some capacity. And then out at our farm in Loveland, uh, which is about 30 miles from the zoo, we have anywhere between between 12 and 14 cheetahs. That's our breeding farm. So it kind of just depends on who's pregnant, who's had babies, who's moving in and out. Amazing. And is it just a cheetah farm out there or do you have other animals out there as well? We do have um, other animals out there depending on sometimes if we need to make space here at the zoo or if someone's retired. We had our um, stellar sea eagles out there for a little while. Okay. 
while something else was being built here. So there are a holding for other animals, but primarily it is our breeding farm for cheetahs. Very cool. So you see that, kids? When your parents say that your uh, pet actually went off to a farm upstate, they might not be lying. You never know. (laughs) True. Um, Okay, cool. So before we get into the the cheetahs, let's get into you a little bit. Uh, Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to become a zookeeper. I've always loved cats. I have some amazing photos of me uh, cuddling uncomfortable looking cats, um, <laughs> as cats tend to be, uh, since I was four and got my first cat, Susie. I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm first generation American, so I actually didn't even know this job existed. Okay. So I took kind of a weird path to get to the zookeeping world. Um, I majored in biology, did some field work for a little while, taught high school biology, worked at a museum, until I found that this is a job you could actually do. So I went to Moore Park College, the Exotic Animal Training and Management Program, which is kind of a shortcut into the animal care field, and found the Cincinnati Zoo. And I came here to do a week-long internship, and the founder, Catherine Hilker, I always remember, she was sitting on the floor of this very building with the two Cheetah brothers, Bravo and Chance, who were about eight months at the time. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do this. And she said, no one else does this. And I said, well, I'll be back then. So definitely came back. I have chills right now. That's awesome. True to my word. I came back and spent a summer here. There wasn't a job for me here, but being a West Coast person, I didn't want to leave the Midwest for fear that I wouldn't come back because I do love the ocean. It lures me every time I'm back home. So I went to Lincoln Park Zoo and I worked there for about a year and a half before coming back. And I came back, uh, I took a position in the education department And the week before I came back, a position opened up in the CAP program. So I've been here ever since. That is awesome. So, yeah, it's a weird, serendipitous, right place at the right time moment, or meant to be, or fate, whatever you want to call it. Right. No, and that's amazing. I love that so much. Um, So how long have you been here? I've been here, I have to do the math in my head, for about 14 years. That's awesome. Very cool. Not a lot of people stay at one place for so long. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, I think it's more common here at Cincinnati for people really to be here quite a bit of time. I can understand why. This is such a special place. It's very cool. Um, And they treat you well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of what makes us successful is the zoo supporting what we do and giving us the tools to be successful. So that's a big portion of that. And actually on our team, nobody is from Cincinnati. The closest I have is I have a Northern Ohio person. I have a Georgia person. I'm from L.A., and then we have someone from Michigan, but our joke is we still let her work here. (laughs) Nice. It's fine. Nice. Very cool. All right. So let's talk about dogs, because this is a cat podcast. Um, No, but what I really want to get into here right away is the idea of cheetah companion dogs. And talk to me as though I've just seen Chris and Remus for the first time ever, and I don't understand anything about it, and tell everyone why there are cheetah companion dogs and and how that works. So a cheetah, mom is the only one that raises a cheetah. Takes her a year and a half to two years and they have about a 10% survival rate. So if you run the numbers on that, it's not great. So she always has two or more young in her litter. If she only has one or if only one survives, she'll actually abandon that litter. Um, That happens out in Africa And even though we give them all the resources they need to be successful, it happens in human care as well. Oh, wow. So um, my personal theory is just there's not enough milk stimulation, so mom stops producing milk. 
Gotcha. So awful idea because we're thinking about it in human terms. But again, if you run the math, that's a lot of work for a female on her own out in a really tough environment. So when our cheetah out at our breeding farm only has a single cub, we have to take that cub and raise it ourselves. Cheetah cubs are adorable. Some say ugly. Those people are wrong. <laughs> They're adorable. It's so cute when the cheetah's little and wants to run around and jump and play. It is not cute when they are a 100-pound animal. And with our cheetahs, we don't want them to learn that people are the thing you play with. So they have to have something to play with. And the closest thing that we can get them in lieu of another cheetah is a dog. So all of our cheetahs aren't raised with dogs, only those that don't have a brother and sister. So Catherine and Willow and Red all had each other. They did not get a dog. In fact, they disliked (laughs) the dogs (laughs) that we got for Donnie, who was kind of sort of raised with them. But when we have a single cheetah, we need to get them a dog so they can have a playmate. The dog gives them an opportunity to run and play. There's enough crossover in the language between the two of them that they understand each other. It does take a little bit of time for them to build a relationship with each other. But once they do, then they really become like surrogate siblings to each other. Um, We use our cheetah dog a little bit differently than other people. A lot of other facilities will always take the dog somewhere where they take the cheetah to maybe help the cheetah build confidence and to keep some consistency with the cheetah. We don't use our dogs that way. Our dog is really just a playmate for the cheetah to wear the cheetah out, to let them practice all that species specific behavior, like running and jumping and tackling. But when we take, you know, if we take Chris out to do a program or to do a run, she does it alone. So our cheetahs work independent of their dog. If we've always found, if you try to take a cheetah and a dog and walk together, they just try to play with each other. So we want our cheetahs to work independent of their dog. And we keep them together until they're interested in maintaining a relationship. Okay, cool. So, yeah, that is very different than uh, what I've heard from some other facilities. Um, Very interesting. What led to that decision being made here? Versus, say, you know, San Diego or, or Columbus, where they are emotional support dogs. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think part of it might be staff size. We only have four full-time trainers here. And so, you know, there is a little bit more consistency with the people that the Cheetah sees every day here. Whereas I know Columbus teams and San Diego's teams are a little bit larger. So the Cheetah might um, be asked more of more people. So the dog might be the thing that's always their consistent thing in their life. Whereas for us, you know, you're only only four people are asking you to do something. Sure, um, sure. So that might be one of the reasons why. I know, too, um, San Diego, their cheetah dog pairs seem to spend a little bit more time together throughout their life. Whereas for us, we found that some of our cheetahs are like, hey, you're cool, get your own room. <laughs> you know, after about a year and a half or so, which is fine. It's their choice. You know, the dog is there really to to be their playmate. And so if they're not interested in having that playmate anymore, it's totally fine. And what would happen to a dog at that point? I, they get adopted out. So sometimes we've kept dogs in the program. Uh, when we've used them for programming, we like to tell that story. We like to tell how dogs are used in conservation as well. Like the Anatolian Shepherd guard dog program or scat dogs that are used. Um, if not, then they, we do adopt them. Um, sometimes it's to a current trainer Sometimes it's to another animal keeper staff. So our dogs are already spoken for. People love them. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the list for Remus must be like. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine. We're going to have to have a raffle of some sort. 
Very cool. All right. So let's let's talk about some of these individuals. And we'll start with the most famous pair right now. We've we've touched on them repeatedly, but Chris and Remus. Um, I will say I was here last year when Chris was little and first starting to come out and play. And I, I did get to see the Yeah, anyone who says that a baby cheetah is um ugly. You're right. They're just very wrong. I've never heard that before. That's insane. Chris and Remus are the cutest things ever. Um, So tell me a little bit about Chris and Remus and where Chris came from. So Chris is a product of our mass farm. Um, There were, I think the female had two and one of them did not survive. Um, So at that point, of course, we have to take Chris. Um, Chris is incredibly special. She opened her eyes really early. So normally it takes cheetahs. Eight days or so, um, she, within a few days, she had her eyes open. She's a very confident cat. She, If you believe and subscribe to reincarnation, she would be reincarnated Sarah, who is one of our most famous cheetahs at Cincinnati Zoo, because she's very confident. She already knows what she's supposed to be doing. So she's just going to decide whether she wants to do it or not. In a very <laughs> princess kind of manner. But she... She kind of already knew all the things. She started walking a little bit sooner than most cheetahs. Um, she's very confident. Not a fussy eater. She just kind of knew everything that she was already supposed to do. Very easy to teach to walk. Um, she's in her little teen phase right now, so sometimes she gets in a snit about things. But she's a very good girl. And it's it's better to have a, a cheetah who's confident about themselves. Uh, Remus came along... Um, he is not what we would typically look for in a cheetah dog. I was shocked. Yeah. Uh, well, I actually was on a cruise ship in Alaska, and one of the trainers sent me a picture, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> like, this is the dog we want. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, as your pet? What? And they're like, no, for Chris. I'm like, Again, what is that? Um, so they originally went to Animal Welfare Fund is the shelter, We'd been to the shelter before looking for a cheetah dog. If um, We often try to adopt a cheetah dog. Um, and they went to look at these other, I think, yellow labs that were there. And there were two. And they noticed that one dug a hole and then, like, aggressively guarded it against the other one. And they're like, yeah, we definitely don't want that. So we want a dog that matches the size of a cheetah, potentially, it has a good demeanor. It has good stamina. It's all around friendly towards the cheetah and towards people. And Remus just fit the bill. And he's adorable. He looks like a cartoon character. He really does. And he's the sweetest boy. I got to pet him and he is just... He is. Oh, he's such a love. He's got the great temperament. I, the only downside was really we're not sure how big he would get. And obviously right. Chris would get taller than him at some point. But temperament-wise, you know, he's very patient with Chris. And cheetah, especially female cheetahs, when they're growing up, are not the nicest of creatures. And so Remus, I think, is really has really done well. That's awesome. I, I love watching those two together. They just steal my heart. They're so funny. So good. And and so good for the zoo because um, I see all that Chris and Remus merch. I, I have, I have, uh, you know, my girlfriend is is just hooked on them, and and there she has a tote bag now, and we have a magnet, and uh, if I can get to the gift gift store before it closes today, I'm sure I'll have some additional Chris and Remus gear. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Mm. Kind of an embarrassing one because, yep, I bought a Chris and Remus hat. 
Guys, my head is too big, and I do not look good in hats, but I just keep buying hats of animals that I love. And Chris and Remus are animals that I love. Anyway, back to the interview. They have some new stuff in there. It's so adorable. We've actually not, in the past, had a lot of cheetah things in our shop. So it's kind of one of our big fights. It's like, we're, you know, cheetah-centric here. We need more cheetah things. Like, you don't need 700 Fiona things, you guys. No, no. Fiona is amazing, and she is the queen, and I love her. She's really cute. But there's so much other good stuff here. There is. Yeah. No, I get that. That's, uh, that's, I love that, you know, it's, it's a nice little circle, though, how they can help bring in money and help make it more popular. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our goal really is to have people, it's, it's hard to get everyone to love cheetahs, but it's easy to get them to love Chris and Remus, you know, and so that becomes our portal to tell that story. So if you love Chris, then maybe you'll put a little more thought into the conservation of other Chris's. Right, exactly. And since uh, we're talking about conservation, um, there is out in Namibia uh, the Cheetah Conservation Fund. And you've done some work with them, correct? Yeah. So we've supported Cheetah Conservation Fund for a really long time at Cincinnati Zoo. Our program founder, Catherine Hilker, actually her and her husband purchased the land that Cheetah Conservation Fund sits on. And so for a long time, it was her her and her husband's name. Wow. And only recently, in Namibia, they have weird laws. You can't sell the land. You have to you can't sell it to another individual. You have to sell it to the government, and then the government can sell it to someone. So only recently did they sell that land to the Namibian government, and then CCF purchased it to kind of make it official. But for a long time, and you still see many remnants of the Hilker name um, around CCF because they were a huge part of making CCF successful. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and you said you went over there, right? I have. Tell so me about that. I instruct for Miami University, the Global Field Masters Program. It's all connected. <laughs> Every episode, Project Dragonfly comes Project up. Project Dragonfly. Every episode. Oh, I love it. Yep. So I was the, actually, I went through the program originally. It was the okay. first class that oh, wow. did the GFP, the Global Field Masters right, right. Program. And so I had gone to Namibia, and now I teach for that course. Okay, very cool. Um, which is cool. Um, I love Namibia. It's such a unique place. Um, so I've been able to go as a student and then been able to go a couple of times as an instructor as well. And it's really cool to be able to tell that connection back to the U.S. and, and to the Cincinnati Zoo and the Columbus Zoo and San Diego and White Oak and um, Safari West and kind of all of the touch points. So it all connects back together. Very, very cool. I love that. Now, let's get back to the heart of it, though. I want to hear about some other cheetahs. Tell me about uh, Tommy T. Tommy T. So Tom is 12 years old. Oh, my God. I'm so bad at assigning the dates because I want them all to be three forever. Right, of course. (laughs) Tom's really special, and he actually has the most connection back to CCF. So I think we decided it was like in 2001 or so that cheetah population here in the U.S. wasn't doing too hot. They have naturally bad genetics. So the Namibian government and CCF kind of collaborated and gifted the American zoos, AZA zoos, 10 cheetahs to kind of help enhance our genetic population. And one of the cheetahs, Wild Boy and his wingman, No Tail, <laughs> uh, came to us in Cincinnati and went to the breeding farm. Um, Wild Boy was a very prolific breeder. And he is Tommy's dad. Okay. So Tommy T is a product of that collaboration between CCF and the Namibian government and U- U.S. zoos. And he was featured 
in a November 2012 issue of National Geographic. So he's actually um, on the cover along with Cuba, but don't disregard the Cuba, <laughs> focus on the cheetah. And he's a centerfold. And I've seen that little poster at Cheetah Conservation Fund. That's amazing. So it's super cool. I was looking at that. I'm like, hey, that's my cheetah. And they're like, you're insane. And I'm like, no, that's my <laughs> cheetah. It's Cincinnati. But he wouldn't be my cheetah if you guys weren't here doing, you know, your work. So it's cool. It's a cool moment to see, like, the global impact of conservation and the global cooperation that's needed for conservation to be successful. Yeah, that's incredible. That's so cool. And... Um, you also give people here a chance to see some things with activities, including stuff that Tommy T does. Um, so you normally do cheetah runs. So talk about that a little bit. And I know that right now they're suspended because of COVID, but let's pretend that this is going to end and we'll get back to that at some point. Um, and talk to me about cheetah runs, what they are, but also why they matter. So cheetah running started, oh, I'm, I, I need to get my facts right. Catherine Hilker, who started our program, was on like the late show or some program and John F. Kennedy Jr. Someone in the Kennedy family. So he was a falconer and he said, do you intend to run that cheetah? And Catherine said, I don't know how. And so he taught her how to lure course and run cheetahs. This is amazing. Um, She used to have this, like, I think we, I think we threw it out. Don't tell her this like bicycle. And so she would hand pedal this bicycle, which of course you're like, you know, fast a cheetah runs. So we've kind of evolved from there, and we would run cheetahs long time ago, again, folks, um, in her front yard in her farm. <laughs> it's a huge farm property. So don't think of front ro- front yard in a normal house. Like, huge farm property, front yard of her farm. And, and then, you know, as you really think about rules and regulations and what's best, you're like, well, we should really do this in a fenced-in space. Okay, let's... So then we would run at our mast farm. There was a field there. And only a few people could see it. And so what Catherine really wanted was a space to do it here at the zoo. And oddly enough, another bird trainer saved her. With coming up with the idea, Gary Denzler, who used to run our bird show, looked at the education parking lot, said, meh, we don't need this, and turned our education parking lot into our running field. So that was in 2007. And then in 2009, we modified it made it bigger. So it's about the length of a football field and the width of a football field. Um, And that's where we do our our public run. Our bleachers seat about 750 or so. And then we actually do have a bigger field that we just finished a couple weeks ago, really, called Boyer Farm, which is much larger. And so we're hoping to be able to offer programs there. So in our field here at the zoo, we see 50-ish miles an hour at Boyer Farm is when we can really see 60, 70 mile per hour runs. Okay, very cool. And um, am I correct in saying that uh, there isn't a lot of research into exactly how fast cheetahs can go and stuff, but you guys are doing something with that? So one of our trainers, Andy, is is helping to do some of that research. We always say females are faster than males. Um, and if you look at their natural history, it makes sense. The female is the one that raises the young. They're typically smarter and lighter. When they have cubs, they run every single day to provide them food. Whereas males, you know, they only run when they're hungry. Um, they Males form coalitions. So their brothers can help them with that run. So maybe they're not going on as long as a run or not um, exerting as much energy during a run. So that's our theory. And Andy's trying to prove that theory. So that's what she's working on right now. Uh, through her master's program, also through Miami. 
Of course, <laughs> because everywhere it is. Plug my end. This it's is, so cool. It's such an easy program. Well, this is, Not this is, easy. But. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, easy to... to if you're a working professional, yeah. it's challenging to find right. a master's program. So. Right, right. No, I get that. I, um, I've been sorely tempted to get involved. Um, unfortunately, cool. the, the hard part is I know that there is some on hands, like you need to be at a zoo or something for, for parts of it. Depending and, on which one you do. One right. of them, you need to be at a zoo. And the other one is you need to be willing to travel internationally. Right. And I'm more than willing to do all of that. But just with a, as a touring musician, my schedule is is sometimes hard to figure Excuses. out. Excuses. Okay, it really is fine. at this point. I really <laughs> want to do it. Um, it just is. It's a cool, unique opportunity in some cases to answer professional questions like, are females really faster than males? Right. You know, so it's kind of a neat thing to be able to really figure it out. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so tell me about Donnie and Moose. Donnie is the biggest cheetah we've ever had. Um, the biggest cheetah a lot of people have ever had. He's a beast, <laughs> uh, 135 pounds, which is kind of unheard of. But we have had, we've actually had um, Mike from the National Zoo, who is the nutritionist there and who also kind of is, you know, the king of body condition scoring with cheetahs. And he came and we were asking him to body condition score everybody. So he says, oh, looks great. Looks great. And he sees Donnie and he's like, whoa. <laughs> we're like, yeah, he's just a big guy. I don't know. But he, he's not fat. He's just a big dude. Right, right. He is the only cheetah that was not born at our mast farm. He was born at a facility in Oregon and he was a single they unfortunately were not able to raise him. At the time, we were raising Catherine, Willow, and Red. And so we're like, just bring them on over and put them on the pile. Like, <laughs> we can all be siblings together. But Catherine, Willow, and Red were 10 days premature, which in a 90-day gestation makes a difference. Um, so they were little preemie guys, and Donnie's a monster. Uh, so <laughs> unfortunately... It took a little bit of time before they were able to play with each other and really be friends. Uh, so that's why we got him Moose, the chocolate lab. Moose is amazing, by the way. Sure. Moose is a troublemaker. Well, I don't have to work with him. I just yeah. get to pet him when he's walking the zoo. That kid, yeah. If only he would use his powers for good instead of evil. <laughs> He'd be great. But what kind of stuff does he do? Moose, you know, dogs have those nails that stick out and make noise. Mm -hmm. Moose has the ability to tiptoe in the kitchen when he doesn't want you to know <laughs> what's going on. We also have baby locks on every single one of our food bins because of Moose. <laughs> we have like a $300 industrial trash can that we also have to have a baby lock on because the <laughs> trash can was not sturdy enough. Moose figured out that he could knock over the whole thing and still get into the trash can. So there's there's like a $2 baby lock on this $300 stainless steel trash can That's compliments amazing. of moose um yeah the kid can get stuff off the fridge he knows how to open the fridge oh i He's... like him so much more now yeah <laughs> i mean it's really innovative if you really take a step back um but our vet does not think so fair 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 and um i noticed that that moose and remus play a lot right they're they're kind of buds yeah so what's interesting is generally throughout the history of the program we've usually had two dogs either a dog that is currently being you know a playmate to a cheetah or a dog that's just um here's an ambassador to tell the story that was a former playmate and so for a while moose was our only dog and we spend you know eight hours of our day here and so we kind of petitioned to our vets let us take him home like it'd be great you could play with our dogs at home and bring him back. And our vets are very, very cautious here. Um, and because he works with 
you know, the delicate flowers that cheetahs are, they were always like, no. And it's kind of opposite. Like your dog at home is alone all day and then you're there. We're the opposite. We're with Moose all day and then he's just alone overnight while he's sleeping. So we're like, well, okay, I guess that makes sense. We'd really love to get him a buddy though. And the opportunity presented itself when we got Chris. So we're pretty excited to have um, Moose and Remus. Remus is um, a little bit, you know, was the little younger brother for a while, but now he's he's trying to show Moose who the big guy is. Oh, wow. So it's kind of interesting. Yesterday I did catch him that Remus was asleep on the bed in the kitchen and Moose was kind of complaining to make room for him. And Remus was not budging. And I was like, what's happening here? Because Moose is, you know, a far bigger dog right, than right. Remus is. So I think I think Remus is, is making a move to be the big dog in town. Amazing. Well, I mean, you know, he knows he's Insta-famous now, so. <laughs> That's true. It's hard to know who is more. Well, probably Remus. I think Remus right is a Disney Remus princess. Is. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, very cool. So, uh, well, let me, okay. So I know we've only got about five more minutes. Wow. Here. Yeah, I know. Time's flying. Too many cheetahs. So, um, are there any other individuals that you would like to touch on quickly? So many of them. Well, we talked about Willow, Catherine, and Red, who were the three that were raised together. Um, Red was the one that didn't learn to eat properly. So he had a feeding tube because he had a little port. And he had a onesie to protect that. (laughs) So if you ever see a photo of a cheetah in a onesie, there is a photo of a cheetah wearing a cheetah onesie. It's very meta. Love that. That is red. But he grew out of that. He knows how to eat like a big boy now. Um, So it was a lot of fun to raise three of them together. And I don't know how a cheetah mother does it. Because in all honesty, if that was me, I would either throw myself or them off a cliff. (laughs) I would just abandon the idea. I say this constantly. They're just so much work. I don't know how they survive on this planet. I simply don't. I mean, they barely do, let's be honest. And they do better than some other things. I just, I don't know. And so the other cheetahs in our program, uh, we have Nia, who is a year younger than Tom, who is kind of our wild child. She's our all-weather girl. So if it's snowing out or raining out, you know, and some of the other cheetahs don't really like the rain or their feet getting wet, Nia's all in, which is great. But then if there's like lightning where you're a little concerned or a big storm coming in, you're like, Nia! You're yelling at her in the pouring down rain. She's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's fine. (laughs) And then Savannah is kind of our middle child at this point. She is um, nine years old. Again, I'm really bad with the ages because I want everyone to be four forever. Um, And she is very much opposed to having younger siblings. So she uh, is a little snotty to everybody else around her because she would like to be the only child. But she's a sweet girl. She's like one of those dogs that would go with anybody, you know, whereas Nia is reluctant of new people and would definitely not follow anyone. Savannah is all in for following whoever wants to give her scratches. Very cool. Very cool. Um, And you guys have, for anyone that that hasn't been here, there's a cheetah exhibit, which is like a normal cheetah exhibit. I mean, it's not normal. It's beautiful and it has a waterfall. Um, But it's, you know, a normal exhibit. And then you also have the the running yard. So how do you determine what cheetahs are where? So our, our exhibit is our retired cheetahs. So if you come and there's only one cheetah there, it's Cheetah Red, who is not a huge fan of running. And so he is in that exhibit, but he also timeshares it with the brothers, Bravo and Chance, who are 14 and a half, which is like the human equivalent of like 110. So when they were about eight, they're like, yeah, we're not doing this running thing anymore, you guys. (laughs) And we're like, well, okay, we can't make you do it if you don't want to do it. It's fine. 
So they hang out in the exhibit. Um, and it's pretty cute because they usually hang out like slightly on top of each other. So it's fun to see them together. Um, so they'll kind of share that exhibit space. Um, we switch them in the middle of the day. Okay, very cool. And then the other ones are out on the yard, or not out on the yard, but... They have a little backyard, backyard. and then inside. Very cool, very cool. All right, um, so two quick things, uh, and then I will let you go. Um, Number one is I'd like to open the floor. Is there any conservation organization or individuals or just anything that you would like to plug? Um, For cheetahs, I think, you know, Cheetah Conservation Fund is definitely the place to go and check out. Um, we also support cheetah outreach in South Africa, cheetah conservation in Botswana, action for cheetahs in Kenya. And one really cool project, which I love and I've been lucky enough to go to is the Ruaha carnivore project, which is in Tanzania. And, um, they are known a lot for their lion work, but also cheetah work. And they have some really cool social media stuff that they engage in. Very cool. All right. And I will post a link to that. That sounds pretty amazing. Um, and then uh, anything not cheetah related? I mean, conservation, you know, we welcome it all. <laughs> I'm a big fan of fishing cats. Um, I work a lot with the International Fishing Cat Group. So the Fishing Cat Conservation Alliance is kind of a new, we were the Fishing Cat Working Group and now kind of rebranded. Um, and we have this super savvy social media person that does a lot of amazing things. If you don't know anything about a fishing cat, you need to Google fishing cat right away. These cats are amazing. They do swim. They swim underwater. They catch fish. Um, People are terrified of them, which is part of our education. They think they're like a tiger when really they're the size of a fat house cat. Um, They're just amazing little creatures. So after cheetahs, fishing cats definitely have my heart. Nice. Very cool. And uh, last minute. So give me a Rasafari poop story. I am not as grossed out by some of the stuff, which I think is probably pretty common. But I did have an instance where, so one of the non-cheetahs that lives in our building is a Red River hog named Sir Francis Bacon. Um, he's pretty well known. He's a pretty cool dude. And he likes to poop right up against one of his shift doors that leads to a play yard. And so often he'll have access in and out, but sometimes if we need to access that yard, the shift door is closed. So he happened to have pooped right on that shift door and um, he was locked inside so I could clean the shift door and the shift door was open. So I'm bending down to pick up the Francis poop and I'm like, what is your head touching? I'm like, oh, I think it's touching the top of that shift door. I'm like, where well, there's poop? I'm like, Absolutely. I'm like, cool, clean hair, now has poop in it. And I had a donor lunch later that day. So I was like, you're going to have to figure out how to fix that. I'm like, great. So it's not a full on, like, I had to take a whole shower moment. It's still pretty great. Maybe a normal person would have. Right. (laughs) But I was like, is that? It took me a while to realize. And then I did it again, too. And I was like, did you just do that again? I'm like, well, it's already contaminated poop hair i'm like that's lovely so we have a lot of of great donors that treat us really well and oftentimes we sometimes we know we're meeting them for something especially in a public place when we used to be able to do that like we'll go to the dewey's the pizza place Mm -hmm. everyone brings a change of clothes because you're not clean enough in your normal day right right to walk into a public space but i was like oh god maybe i have a hat somewhere (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for picking me and allowing us to focus on our zoo. Of 
I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Linda does such a great job of making you feel like you know all of her cheetahs, doesn't she? I wish I could have spent longer with her, and I promise you that I will do everything in my power to have her back on at a later date if she is willing. You can check out CincinnatiZoo.org for more information about the zoo and all the amazing ambassador programs they are running right now, including the virtual content I mentioned at the top of the episode, and the cool new Chris and Remus gear you heard about in the interview. And, as always, you can find me at Safari on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, here's that bonus story I mentioned at the top of the show, followed by the credits. Hi, everybody. This is Danny Poirier from Southwick Zoo in Menden, Massachusetts, and I'm here to tell you a little story about my friend Kinta the Laughing Kookaburra. So if you guys listened to my episode of the podcast, you might know that I hand-raised a surprise kookaburra chick back in 2017. It was such a fantastic experience, and she's doing very well now. But when she was about six months old, I actually left for a bird training conference in California. And uh, this association has been mentioned on the podcast before, but I would like to give it another plug because it's just such an incredible group of people and a great community to be a part of if you're an animal trainer or if you love birds or both. It's called the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators. And I participated in my first conference with them in 2018. And I was so excited and I definitely learned a lot. And I was really excited to take those skills home with me and kind of test them out on the flock that I was working with. So I got home. I was so excited to see the birds and especially Kinta. And I stepped into the barn with high hopes. And unfortunately, my soul was crushed when I noticed that Kinta was displaying some really interesting behaviors in my presence. So she was actually kind of flying at the cage bars (laughs) when I would walk by. She had really slick feathers. She was lifting her tail. She was kind of making these funky noises that we hadn't heard before. And I was fairly certain that it was me. It was pretty obvious that she didn't recognize me. It was 100% soul crushing because I had raised this bird, worked with her hands-on for six months before I left for this conference. I was gone for a week. I knew it was a risk. I knew there was a chance that she might not remember me, especially because she was just so young and going through some hormonal changes. But I was hopeful. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. So as a trainer and as a problem solver, we operationalize, we look at the behavior, and then we try to see if there's a way that we can manipulate the environment to notice some observable changes in the behavior to try to set the bird up for success. So I did a little testing. I was walking around. She was 100% coming at me. So I kind of took a look at what I was wearing and started to question it a little bit. I was thinking, what what am I wearing that makes me look or seem different to this bird? And is there something that I can remove to make her more comfortable? So I sort of like tapped on the top of my head and realized I was wearing a headband that day. And I decided to just take it off and try it. 
And so I put the headband in my bag and I turned around and I looked at her and I noticed almost immediately that her demeanor had changed. So instead of flying at the bars when I walked by, she remained calm on her perch. Her feathers went from being really slick to more relaxed and she wasn't lifting her tail and making those horrible little chirping noises. So... Um, I gave her her morning diet just so that she could calm down a little bit and associate me with something a little more positive, and I learned something that day. So I wrote in our incident report binder the behavior that I had seen, what I had done about it, and how the behavior changed. And essentially, that day, I learned that I could unfortunately no longer wear headbands to work. So of course, I tried with a few other headbands, maybe some that were different colors, and I did wear quite a variety when I was raising her. So she had definitely seen them before almost every single day up until that moment. For whatever reason, um, I think when I left, she just kind of forgot about me. And when I came back, I looked for whatever reason different with the headband, but not different without the headband. So, um, yeah, that day I learned that I could no longer wear headbands with Kinta. And I definitely do want to also mention that a lot of times when we hand raise young birds, it's important that we desensitize them to the appearance of not only other people, but sometimes we have to change our appearance because something as simple as us wearing sunglasses or wearing a hat, or even in this case, wearing a headband can make us look very different to our birds or to our animals. So a lot of people do start that desensitization process a little earlier. Uh, We just sort of didn't think that that was as important early on, which now that was a fantastic learning opportunity for us. We know that that is so important. So we decided to start desensitizing her to lots of other people. We had our interns handling her a lot more. We were trying to switch up her environment a little so often so she wasn't getting as territorial. And all of those things really, really helped and really did numbers on her training. But unfortunately, to this day, neither myself nor anyone on my staff in turns, nobody can wear a headband. And we would love to go down that road, eventually desensitizing her to headbands. And we actually tried and had started that. Unfortunately, I felt like it was just setting her back a little bit farther into her training than I was comfortable with. And since it's so easy for us to just take the headband off, we're doing that for now. Of course, it's only a short-term solution. So we're going to continue to progress with Kinta's training with headbands. Um, I'll be sure to check in with a progress report hopefully down the road. But for now, she's doing great without the headbands. So that's my story about Kinta. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Take care, everybody. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari, on the web at rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.